Hi, and welcome to Delta Dialogue. In this podcast, we talk about open data, open medical data, and AI from above and beyond and explore its implications to our world. In this episode of Delta Dialogue, we will discuss AI-driven lifestyle, and I'm your host, Amir Mustafa, joined today by my co-host and commentator, David Wood, and our guest speaker, Elliot Levy. He is the founder of Europe's first generative AI consultancy, Acquainted, and techno-radical journal, Bozo. He has over nine years of experience in the creative and innovation sectors with a passion for generative AI and its application. As the founder of Acquainted, he helps companies of all sizes harness Web3 technologies to gain or retain competitive advantage. In his book, Mainstream Mania, The Terminator Decline of the Press is out next year. I think there are a lot of startups looking to leverage any new technology, to be honest, for growth. So, you know, in terms of uh, our listeners, I would I would ask you, like, what advice would you give to startups actually uh, looking to leverage AI technologies for growth? Oh, um, I think essentially we're, we're not too far off seeing like, you know, a multi-million uh, dollar company, even a billion dollar company, which is just, you know, like two guys and a bunch of AI agents. I think in the next five to 10 years, we'll probably see some examples or some evidence that we're getting towards a place where, you know, you, you, you would have trained your GBT agents to be the perfect marketing guide. Um, you know, it cut, I guess for startups who are trying to scale out, it is, you should, you should be using uh, tools like Zapier and connecting it to, you know, you should be exponentially expanding your, your, your outreach with, with these tools, essentially. And, uh, I suppose that's what we've been doing as we, we did it. We did a lot of like, you know, um, reaching out, talking about acquainted to different, different types of people from all over the place and, and getting a lot, getting a lot back. It was just at a scale we couldn't do it before. So I think just trying to use these things for scale, um, waiting for those GPTs to really start kicking in. I think next year we'll see a lot more development in that space. Uh, where they'll actually become a lot more useful than they are right now they're kind of just like widgets i imagine but uh, i think they are going to grow in capabilities over the over the next year or so um i think that will probably be the way to do it um but no i think in the next five to ten years we'll have a company which is just a couple a couple of people and uh, a hell of a lot of ai agents and it will probably be doing better or, or yeah doing better or at least the same as, as a as a usual company so use use it use it to fill in the gaps that you can't do yourself with your resources you mentioned the tool Zapier there. Can you just explain to viewers and listeners how would that be used? Yeah, it's just it's 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 a it's a low slash no code automation tool. There's quite a few. Um, Bardeen is another good one where people can actually share their their automations, so you can kind of learn on the job there. These tools can be connected to foundational models, and you can you can basically automate a lot of stuff very easily with um, and the the clues in the name low, low slash no code, where you don't really need that much experience in this. Um, if you're not using those tools, I think you should probably be sitting down and just spending six hours just learning about it and you, and you'll save much more than six hours in the long run. Six hours, right. That from YouTube videos or so. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've, I've, I've had to, I've had to teach people about this stuff and I, I, I've, I've done it over a morning before, but I, I always thought that wasn't, that wasn't long enough. So. I think maybe it's just it's just practice makes perfect, and that's why Bardeen's a really good one because actually you can sort of see what's possible and what other people have done, and then you kind of you kind of a bit more in the actual mindset of how these how these things can be applied and where. And they're not particularly AI tools themselves, but they are things that connect AI tools to the other parts of and tools you want to use. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think the term a few years ago was intelligent automation, and it's all it's all getting a bit blurred now. Um, but yeah, there's there's essentially just a if this then that. So if if I say this, then you do that, and then but you're connecting the the intelligence of uh, ChatGPT into that mix, so you can have a lot more complex tasks than you could a couple of years ago with these uh, intelligent automation tools. You know, as a founder of a of a consultancy regarding AI, are you at all concerned about well regulations and and government restrictions, etc.? And I mean, the current state of AI regulation is not, I, I would say, in my opinion, it's not that developed yet. I mean, there's the AI Act that's uh, that's coming soon to Europe, but in my opinion, what concerns do you have regarding? these uh, potential regulations. And aside from that, what what changes would you like to see in, in the current atmosphere? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I think for me, um, the, the Terminator style scenario stuff, I think is a, a, bit, a bit overcooked. And I think it's probably having a, a bigger influence than it probably should in, in the general regulationary debate. Um, I think if you are saying the world's going to end, you need a hell of a lot of evidence to like back up such a such a massive claim. And I don't think I've particularly seen it. I think a lot of the arguments are kind of being used in bad faith to shut down stuff like open source, um, where they talk about, for example, um, the creation of uh, bioweapons and stuff via AI. And then many studies actually show that compared to just usual Google search, you could get that same information because at the end of the day, this is just scraping the internet stuff. So. I'm I'm not really sure where we should be at with the regulation stuff yet. I actually was um, quite happy with the UK's approach where they said we're going to let each vertical do it themselves because they might have a better way of knowing how to do this. And then also any regulation stuff we're going to bring in is going to be outdated in a year anyway. And I kind of think that's that's a nice humble approach to this. Uh, That doesn't mean to say I don't think there should be any regulation. I think there's um, surveillance stuff, you know, like, you know, being able to, no, if you haven't got a job for a certain reason or haven't been enrolled in a school and, you know, or you're, or you, I, don't, I don't think we should have AI judges, for example, even though human judges actually tend to give harsher sentences before lunchtime. So maybe, so maybe we should, but um, I think in general, I think that the dust is yet to settle. Um, I, I just think that the hyperbolic tendencies to, you know, get the headlines with the Terminator picture in it uh, 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 is quite a powerful force that we probably need to, try to keep a more of a level head about. Well, to connect back to the earlier discussion of uh, warfare, you wrote that there are risks of having automated systems make their own decisions about what should happen in battles. That swarms of drones, if they encounter an opposing swarm of drones, they don't have the time to ask humans, what shall we do now? They need to decide, hey, we've got to engage, we've got to do X, Y, Z. That's already quite scary when it comes to swarms of drones, but if these systems are in control, not just of individual drones, but of nuclear missiles, potentially, that is a scenario in which uh, we could come closer to the end of the world. So that's, I think, one of the reasons people are reasonably concerned that we have to think very carefully before rushing to deploy potentially incomplete systems, potentially faulty systems that work 99% of the time, but on a particular day in which the wind is blowing in a particular direction or the sunlight is shining in a way. This isn't uh, metaphorical, by the way. There have been systems in the past that have been misled by light reflecting off clouds in particular ways. 
then I, I think there is a, a reason to seek uh, a rapport, uh, some uh, collaboration in which all countries, regardless of their political differences, and my goodness, there's a lot of harsh political differences these days. Nevertheless, they can all agree this should be avoided. Yeah, it's the, 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 the externalities, when, when, they're, when, they're that, when they're that high, we need to figure, figure out ways to make sure that we, 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 don't, we don't play that game. Because as, as I mentioned in that piece, it's, it, okay, it might be, it might be the, the better way to win wars, but what effect will that, have that, will that have that on our domestic lives as well? Would that mean that we're, we're, we're just workers who just consume for forever? Or what, what does it mean for our actual rights as well? So there are externalities that need to be taken into account. Um, I, but I, I don't think I've even actually seen anything about automated warfare, particularly in the, um, in the AI Act yet. I think it's mostly to do with um, infringing on individual rights uh, in, in that sense, rather than actually in a more of a consumer-led sense, rather than actually a, a sovereign sort of, of, of way of thinking about it. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. I think we need multiple approaches, as you said. We can't, uh, building this technology is complicated. Regulating it is bound to be complicated as well. And the safety issues aren't something that can be put inside one box and sorted out by one group of people. It probably needs multiple sorts of people looking at different sorts of risks, shorter term risks, longer term risks, uh, risks to individual harm, risks to larger harm, risks to harm to the environment, and so on. Yeah, yeah, because there, there are there there are, there are so many um, so much ripple effects that happen with this stuff. Because um, even with if we live in a world, even if you don't even engage with uh, social media, for example, your life is still very much affected by it, and it will be the same with these things. So if even if you if you if there's no way to opt out of these things, then it really these does need a discussion around how we can make sure that those who have opted out or don't want to dancing this dance this also kind of like touches upon the ethical concerns we mentioned earlier and and uh, regarding the way they should be addressed i mean you said that in 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 some way later on there will be smaller language models you won't be concerned with giving your data to like the current big four etc however like is this is this the only way they could be addressed uh, by by building smaller language models even though smaller language models will still require data. So is this actually the most pressing ethical concern associated with advancement of generative AI or maybe something else? And if if something else or this, how should they be addressed, do you think? Yeah, so is this more about the sort of like biases in, in, the, in these models and the sort of black box problem that, that's been knocking around for? Yeah, that's including that in general. To be honest, this this uh, when I say ethical concerns, it can encompass so many things, including biases. Uh, you said, for example, we shouldn't have judges, AI judges, even though someone was saying like we should have AI judges for lower rate crimes, for example. Let's 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 start with the biases one. So, um, in in terms of yeah, well, how can companies? for example, uh, ensure their AI solutions are free from bias. Yeah, I think um, what we touched upon earlier with the synthetic data, that's quite a good way to sort of, you know, bolster uh, a data set with perhaps more varied data than you might actually have because a lot of the data you collect is from, you know, a particular place in time. And so it's going to reflect that particular place in time. Um, in terms of the actual, there's also AI auditing startups. I've seen quite a few of them over the past few years. 
And I think they go in and uh, double check your algorithms. So I imagine there'll be a lot more of this in the future, um, perhaps even a government regulated one. Um, and then I think like you, what you mentioned about, yeah, I think maybe AI judges in in who are maybe just dealing with very petty crimes. I think, yeah, I think it's all a trade-off, isn't it? So I think if someone's life is not on the line, then perhaps it's, if we have to, you can, it can take that sort of risk into account. But um, again, the problem is obviously that these these tools are exponential. So even a slight slight incorrection can be can be <laughs> exponentially expanded across the world in the, <laughs> with the click of a button. So that's why we have to make sure we get it right. And if we can't ever have a hundred percent, you know fairness in terms of the AI judging, then maybe we shouldn't really go down that path. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's all, it's all about a trade-off. And there are, there are various ways to make sure your, your data isn't biased. I think data will always be biased in some way or form. I don't think it's ever going to be possible to be unbiased because the, the data tells a story and that story is whatever, that, that, that is a bias in a way as well, I suppose. Um, and then it's, and if you try to get rid of that, then it's not really data. It's, it's just uh, useless information. But um. Yeah, I think I think for a lot of companies, as long as you go into this with an AI ethics sort of product thinking mindset, where you kind of think of all those externalities from the get go and really kind of sort of map out what can go wrong, who could be affected by this, and build from that point of view, I think maybe that's probably a good way for you to sort of be on the right track at, at least. What are you seeing, Elliot, in terms of systems that not only give you a verdict: this person is guilty, this person is innocent this person has got a malignant growth, this person has a benign growth, but also offer an explanation. Here are the factors that should be taken into consideration. They, they were judged guilty because of this, and by the way, here are the remaining ish areas of uncertainty, and likewise. That's a, an attractive vision, I think, an explainable AI, provided we can be sure that the explanations being offered are actually the explanations that are truly going on. We humans often come up with explanations for our own action. Oh, the reason I voted for this politician was X or Y, when in fact there was something else that we might not even admit to ourselves. Well, yes, no, explainability is going to be crucial in this. Um, and then we, we, can, we, can, we can mark the homework then. At the moment it is still, we're going in blind a lot of the time. Um, and then we can improve them as well once we know if, if they've gone this way or that way. Um, yeah, especially for such, such crucial decisions, it will, it will, it's going to have to be part of that. Well, and in, in terms of data privacy, then, because well, why data privacy? So if you if you look at, uh, for example, the industries of the, the creative industry, like art, music and and literature, I think the current models like are, are trained on well, art and music and literature from from the available works. What about the privacy of, of certain, for example, musicians? I mean, there is, uh, let's say, the voice of Drake is being used to cover a Dutch song. So where is like the privacy? How, how big is the privacy concern? Let me phrase it that way regarding these industries. And, and, and how can we actually make sure that individual rights are protected? Yeah, I think um, I know no one likes to really talk about blockchain, but I think actually blockchain might finally have a have a have a problem that is the solution for. I think everyone's always said it's the, it's the solution looking for a problem. And I think smart contracts via the blockchain, which can, you know, be able to tell how much of your work influences output and, you know, give you credit where credit is due in that sense. I think that will probably be a potential solution to this. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, but I, 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 in my mind, in my mind's eye, I can, I can see something going on there. Um, 
But in terms of actually, I think a lot of other tools, I think Google, for example, they made it so with their music out there, you can't say in the style of, you get that prompt doesn't lead you anywhere. Um, but at the same time, you can put a certain genre of music and then you have the whole problem. Well, what if one artist completely created a genre of music? Then it's kind of, you know, it's, there, are, there are different layers to, to how much credibility one should get, but you can, always, you can always find a way, I think, to get there. And that's the problem with this. And that's why I was saying at the beginning about no one makes anything in a vacuum. So it is very hard to sort of untangle that web of uh, giving credit where credit's due. And I think something a bit more concrete like smart contracts might be able to sort of maybe help with that. We don't, we don't, we don't want to be in a place where we're, we're having another Spotify moment where artists don't get really pay, get, get paid peanuts for the, for, for, at, for at the same time being being listened to by more people than they've ever been listened to before. Like that doesn't really make sense. Everyone knows that there's a big sense of unfairness there. Um, so I think it will go away. I don't know how successful any of those lawsuits were against OpenAI from various authors. I can't imagine they would be. It's very hard to prove these things is, is, is part of the reason why explainability would be quite useful, but also probably why they don't like to maybe go with a transparent route because then you might, you might actually see what's under the hood and it might not all be all, all that legal. But um, in general, yeah, there, there, will be, there will be various solutions on the horizon because it is just such a it's a problem that everyone really cares about so i don't think anyone's gonna just leave that hanging i want to touch upon uh your upcoming book uh, mainstream mania can you uh, share maybe a key insight or a theme uh from from that's uh, that's hopefully coming out yeah so essentially it's it's mapping the decline in the press and how we got to the real bad data in in, in trust in the press and it goes from all the way from the beginning of the 24-hour news cycle to O.J. Simpson, um, through the social media bit, now into the subscription models and how that's led to a desertification of local news, which has actually led to more polarization and more conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And how, because of the fact that um, they they now, that massive media companies now play to the tune of their subscribers, that actually you know creates another echo chamber of sorts. And so basically all of these past two decades of, of decline are now going to be intersecting rapidly with the with the rise of deep fakes. And I'm just kind of mapping the it's kind of like an obituary to, to where we're to where we where we've got to and why it's gonna be very hard for people to believe what they what they see in the years ahead. And that's kind of all it is, is uh, in a nutshell. Um, but it kind of it was very interesting to research just to sort of really go through and remind yourself of like oh god yeah that all happened okay here we are okay yes and and just the like I say the externalities of social media or the subscription model that you might not have thought about and we're all very happy that the New York Times and whatever has done very well to um, to survive the clickbait era um, and then actually at the same time it's led to lots of local news uh, outlets across the across the West shutting down and what happens then and you know and if it's only news that's on the, being told on the global scale rather than a local scale people don't really feel attached to the news and we're actually seeing a lot of people no longer even uh, watching the news at all and they've, they've, they've gone they're turning their heads away from it and and what does that mean and what, what, what have we lost there and yeah the intersection of that with deep fakes on the horizon is um is a is a murky myth basically how do you attribute the blame across modern new social media and the traditional mainstream media in terms of messing up public trust, growing tribalism, leading? Yeah, I, I think um, social media is probably the, the, the real cause. It led to the whole clickbait um, 
you know, serotonin grabbing headlines, which um, the media had to then co compete with. Um, that then fed into the need for a subscription model because ad revenue dropped when social came about. Uh, and before it was actually, you know, in a converse way, ad space was actually quite good because you couldn't track editorial decisions in real time to loss of um, readers. Um, but you can now with the subscription model, which has led to some outlets changing their headlines, like for example, and changing their changing their articles based on the fact that lots of people have unsubscribed from for, for, for the previous take. Um, so that barrier between um, the readers and the and the the writers is, is is no longer there. And what you have in a sense is that you have a a readership which feels that they have a complete ownership of of, of the outlet now. And they're paying for a product, and if you don't uh, deliver on that product, then um, you're going to be penalised for it, which encourages you to play to the tune of the of the readership, basically. And then the the masthead is kind of in a, some sort of arrested development, essentially. So that's kind of how it all kind of came about. Um, but yeah, I suppose social media was probably the the the, the heavy hitter. Um, it already played on tendencies that we saw in the 24-hour news cycle that were happening anyway, but it just amplified it and took it to a to a different level. And the book's coming out next year. Is it mainly written, or are you still writing it? Are you looking for a publisher? It's mainly written. I am looking for a publisher, actually. Um, but in general, I, I started writing it about a year ago, and now I'm um, I'm 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 in the last couple of chapters. The the fun one, the one, the one about conspiracy theories and how they're they are now becoming normalized because no one trusts what they read anywhere else and how that's kind of fed into this, you know, driving everyone insane. The title Mainstream Mania is because of the collective madness that um, it's kind of fed into and created, basically. On this journey you've been with Acquainted, one thing I would like to ask is working on it on this for eight months long, even though it's a short time in general, it's still quite a long time in the history of generative AI. And, so that's why I wanted to ask you, do you see any any gaps uh, within the industry that needs to be filled in the coming year, let's say, places where people need to step up, step up in terms of the industry itself or, or just regarding generative AI? What what could we advise our audience to say like, hey, this is a good good field to go in because there is a gap and people we need people to, to fill this gap? I think I think next year we're going to see a lot more multimodal applications of generative AI. So we'll probably start to see it with intersecting with a lot of different um, innovations that have been occurring over the years. I think essentially Runway, the, the video one, they announced their general world models the other day, which is um, uh, basically the metaverse by another name. And I think probably generative AI is the key to unlocking um, the much um, what was probably it got it got it got mocked quite badly didn't it because we weren't really ready for it but i think essentially generative ai and being able to actually tech to tech prompt worlds into existence i think really opens that door um multimodal applications we're going to see them in terms of self-driving cars as well we're going to see you know being able to um take in what the car is seeing and being able to use that data in a in a, in a intelligent way um Again, small language models, I think, will be the thing to look out for next year in terms of more domain-specific um, applications, generative AI. And then lots of animation. I think the CGI stuff's going to really kick off next year. And um, we've got places like Pika Labs. Um, I think they'll be releasing it in the next couple of months. But um, it's kind of, you know, Pixar, Pixar-ready um, assets, essentially, um, at, at your fingertips. So there are quite a few things which are still haven't still landed and I think we're only really at the beginning of a lot of this stuff and like I said with the with the Google discovering new materials last week 
um, well, a couple of weeks ago, rather. And then I think last week they actually used an LLM to solve an unsolved math problem. I think as much as there are ethical concerns and problems on the horizon, I think we're probably also on the precipice of a period of uh, serious scientific discovery. So um, I think there's a lot of stuff that has yet to land, like I say, but I think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to to play a role in the in the years to come. So whereas people today are often hearing about mid-journey and chat GPT as the tools frequently mentioned, your suggestion is that the companies such as Runway and Pika Labs are going to be much more in people's minds because of their ability to do things with animations or videos. And I'm particularly interested in your suggestion that this will make the metaverse work in a way that it hasn't worked before. Because when people do go to the metaverse, at first they think, this is interesting. Oh, and then it runs out of interesting content fairly quickly. And your suggestion is that people will be able to generate the content by AI rather than rely on humans mapping it all out and creating it. Exactly. Um, and we'll see even with, with companies like HeyGen who do the avatars, who are able to you know do a, do a photorealistic avatar of myself. I'll spend two minutes training it in hand movements and talking saying random words and it will be able to you know I, I put in a script I write I put one of my whole articles and it will do produce a whole webinar so that sort of technology embedded within things like the metaverse will will, will obviously intersect at some point and I think generative AI is probably the, the force behind all those things happening so we might in the metaverse meet you Elliot Levy or we or we might meet uh, our own favorite characters you might meet Abraham Lincoln or I guess there isn't so much video of him but maybe somebody more modern like Barack Obama or uh, some of the other uh, interesting media stars we might meet them in our own private little metaverse oh a hundred percent I think I think yeah I think for education wouldn't that be so fun um, conversing you know it'll be trained on all of uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, literature and it will be a photorealistic uh, rendition of him and and he'll be able to talk you through everything and you can ask him questions it's kind of exactly what the um i forget the name of the man uh, berners lee the uh, who he, he envisioned web web 3.0 and he said it would be you know us being able to talk to the internet and the internet being able to talk to itself and that is kind of where we're finally getting to and you know he was a very clever man and uh, i he was right about Web 1 and 2, so it stands to reason that he's probably onto something with Web 3, and I think we're finally getting there. This has been a fascinating conversation. I like the mention of a Cambrian explosion, which we're potentially seeing in biological history. You know, for millions of years, nothing much changed, but then somehow there was a whole wave of innovation, perhaps because creatures learned to see light for the first time and eyes developed, and once they could see each other, then they could chase each other, and eat each other and a whole bunch of innovation needed. So we've got a Cambrian explosion potentially underway, but that's gonna be so confusing for people, we're gonna to need to trust more than ever before. We're gonna need reliable companies that not just can sort out fake videos from true videos, but dare I say it, fake consultants from uh, reliable consultants, uh, people who can actually back up their slick PowerPoint slides with uh, genuine knowledge. So I think trust is gonna be key Part of that also is uh, coming, finding reliable educational materials. We didn't talk much about it, but I think the potential for education to be transformed with language models, we're seeing a bit of it with Duolingo having its own uh, avatars in it powered by large language models. We're seeing it with Khan Academy who've got their 
is it Can Meagle, an assistant? But I think there's going to be a heck of a lot more. And we need it badly because there's going to be so much to take in that if we're not careful, we're going to stop trusting altogether. So I am looking forward to seeing this developing, and I am particularly looking forward to reading your book when it's available, Elliot. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for listening to the Delta Dialogue. This episode is brought to you by the UN, a tech community focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare, machine learning, and related disciplines. I am Amir Mustafa, and see you next time.